It's the radio guy, Mike Prince, and welcome to a special edition of Where Are They Now here on the Open Mic Broadcast Network and the Mike Prince Show. Of course, we come to you each and every day, and today is not going to be an exception to the rule. We are going to do, as my grandmother would say, and retch back a little bit and go to the class of 1980. And I'm going to present to some and introduce to others the last draft pick prior to Quentin Bell here of recent, none other than Mr. Matthew Teague. How are you doing today, sir? I'm well. How are you? I am excited and uh, glad to have you on board with us. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be a part of it. Yes, sir. Now, I did the little tease in the introduction about uh, you being the last one drafted uh, prior to Quentin Bell was a big fuss, and deservedly so, when Bell was drafted by the Oakland Raiders. But when we go back to 1980s, you were the last man standing for a long time. And bring the people up to speed, those who may remember or those who might not even have a clue. Well, I was um, a freshman out of New Orleans, and I was recruited by John Tankersley. Um, Some of you may remember Coach Tank. Um, I was... A freshman, and I started as a freshman. I started all four years that I was at Prairie View, captain of the football team, two consecutive years, and uh, was finally drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in 1980 and declared, because of technicalities, uh, an illegal draft pick and taken again in the draft, in the supplemental draft during the summer by the Atlanta Falcons. So there were two picks given up for me. One 1980 pick by the Cowboys and one 1981 pick by the Atlanta Falcons, which is where I began my career in Atlanta. Okay. Are you uh, clear on what the technicality was back then and, and enlighten us? Actually, I had another year left in school and Dallas found some type of loophole that would allow them to um, draft me. They consulted with me. I, of course, didn't consult with anyone else, which is ill-advisable. I wouldn't advise anyone else to do that. And um, I was taken in a draft. But because I hadn't signed a contract with the Cowboys, once it was discovered, um, I was declared illegal because of the way the NFL draft works. Everyone has to know that you're eligible for the draft so that they can cast a pick for you if they desire to draft. And that wasn't the case with the Cowboys. So I was declared illegal at that point and placed into the supplemental draft during the summer. So the Cowboys were trying to keep you as their dirty little secret, huh? Actually, they did. They brought me up to Dallas and kept me up there for about a month. All my things were at Prairie View. and, uh, And I had to request to come back so I could get my things and go back to Dallas. But they had me at, uh, in the training camp working out on a daily basis and, uh, I was really benefiting from it. I enjoyed being a part of, uh, for that small stint, a part of the Cowboys organization. Wow. So as legend would have it, um, you ended up going back into the supplementary draft, and then you then went to where most people would remember you from your NFL stint with the Atlanta Falcons. So what was that like for you, thinking you're going to be a Cowboy, and you end up being an Atlanta Falcon? I was actually disappointed. I knew about the Cowboys. I was well-versed with them because I'm at Prairie View. There were a lot of guys from Dallas and the Houston area. Either you were a Cowboy fan or a direct rival 
So um, going to Atlanta, which was a team that I knew very little about, and it was further from home or Prairie View, um, it was a little different. I, I knew no one. I knew nothing about the team. Um, and it was an abrupt thing. You know, I was flown out there, got picked up at the airport, taken out to the training camp. Everything was a rush uh, to get me in. And uh, it was just different. I wasn't ex- as excited about being with the Atlanta Falcons as I was about being with America's team. <laughs> America's team. And when you said either you're a fan or a, a rival, I would fall under the rival category when it comes to the Cowboys, but it is all good. Uh, we're speaking right now with our beloved PV brother, none other than brother Matthew T. Uh, we're talking about uh, being the last one drafted prior for Quentin Bell. So you've been this lone ranger, if you would, for PV Nation. Um, it, how did you feel when you heard about Quentin Bell getting drafted? I felt good. I thought it was about time that we got some of our generally raw talent from the SWAC, Purview specifically, being drafted into the NFL. Um, I remember distinctly when I went to the Falcons, uh, with the, Cow- the Cowboys and the Falcons, but more so with the Falcons because I got an opportunity to strap on the pads with them. Those guys who were from Notre Dame and USC and all the big name schools, uh, I was a little leery about how it would fare in competition against them. But once we got on the grass and I got an opportunity to really like test my, my natural talent against their skill, their skill set, I found that um, I, I had them bested by the ta- in the talent category. And I think that uh, Prairie View and the SWAC in general has a lot to offer as far as talented young men and young women, for that matter, are concerned. Yes, sir. It's a different era now. Uh, A lot of uh, kids who have African-American descent, uh, they kind of look down HBCUs at this stage of the game because the stage is not as big as they think it is. But there is an old adage that if you have the talent, they'll find you. And it doesn't really matter where you go. When you see guys jumping toward the larger stage, how does that resonate with you being a, a SWAC HBCU uh, protege that not only went to the NFL but had four years in the NFL and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit but how do you uh, measure that up when you see guys jumping for the larger programs? Well I believe there's a push for what's bigger uh, and a concept to think to, that where people think that what's bigger is better and um, what I found out about Prairie View was that it was more specific to my needs. I got more attention in the classroom. I got uh, more of an opportunity instead of being uh, put in. And if I didn't get the job done, being pushed aside and not looked at for another couple of years, I got an opportunity to get back in there and to practice and prove myself. I think guys on the larger scale become a number and they're dispensable. Um, I think at a school like Prairie View, there's, such care and concern about the individual until the talent, if it's there, is developed, if the kid is willing to work on developing themselves. So I think there's uh, something that our kids lose as a result of going to the bigger schools. Now, of course, they get an opportunity to be seen on TV, 
and that type of stuff. But I'm a living example of uh, a person who played at an HBCU, but regardless of what, if I did the job necessary to be considered for the draft, that I would be drafted. Okay, I was drafted after losing every game that season. The team went 0-11. And, and it just stands to prove that if you are doing a good job on the grass, somebody's going to take notice. So it really doesn't matter which stage you're playing on. What matters is how you perform and what you're doing while you're on the field. Absolutely. You know, I, I kind of chuckled to myself when you said you get to be on television on the bigger platforms. But what good is it being on television when you're sitting on the side holding a helmet, if they even give you a helmet? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's just, you know, to each his own. And, and, and that's a whole nother topic. And I'm not going to uh, delay the listeners with that. They hear me fuss about that enough. We're talking right now with Matthew Teague, class of 1980, drafted twice. It says skills so nice he had to be drafted twice, once by the Cowboys, which was illegal, and then by the Atlanta Falcons. Now, you were an overachiever when it goes to the average career for NFL players. A lot of people don't realize this, but the average career for an NFL player is three years. You were able to play four. What was the defining point? I know you said when you met with these guys from these other large campuses that you belonged in the NFL. What was that true defining moment for you? I believe Good fortune has something to do with it. Um, I did receive some injuries, and some of them were major. A couple of them were. Um, I was able to recover, but um, it's 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 the luck of the draw. I mean, you don't determine whether you're going to get a knee or whether you it's you know you've got to play and uh, really put the effort in in order to be successful on the field because the competition level is so high. But um, you don't determine whether or not you're going to come out of a situation. Uh, a game situation healthy or with an injury. So I had nothing to do with that portion of it. I simply went out and did my job to the best of my ability. Okay. And with the best of your ability, as the old cliche goes at Prairie View, Prairie View produces productive people, and you were able to be productive in the NFL. But you also had a stint in the Canadian League, correct? I did. Can you bring us up to speed on that one? I, I had an issue with the Falcons. Um, I was young at the time, and I decided that I'd teach the Falcons a lesson. And I would just leave and go to Canada. And that would, of course, teach them not to mess with Matthew T. <laughs> which I, I really wasn't grasping how many people wanted to be in the NFL and how, how easy it was to replace somebody who decided they wanted to go in a different direction. But at once I arrived in Canada, beautiful country, really nice people. But the NFL owns three days of the week and there is no football league that compares to the NFL. So, of course, it was a step down for me. And I realized it after I got in there and signed a contract. And all I could think about from that point forward was how do I make it back to the NFL? Okay. Okay. Now, the team that you signed with, in uh, the Canadian Football League was which one? I played with three teams while I was in Canada. When you're in Canada, which was something I was unaccustomed to at the time, um, in the NFL at the time that I played, you played with the team, you pretty much stayed with that team, 
throughout your career. I mean, that has changed now, but at the time, that was the way it was. When I went to Canada, you were the property of the league. So if you got traded from one team to another, it wasn't something that was supposed to damage your ego. You were supposed to understand that now, instead of playing with this team, you're going to be playing for this team and against the team that just traded you. So um, I had to get used to that. And the first team I played with was the Ottawa Rough Riders. Uh, my second year, I played with the Toronto Argonauts. Third year, um, I refused to sign another contract because I wanted to come back to the NFL. So they shipped me out to Saskatchewan with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Now, in 1983, we won a Grey Cup, which is the equivalent of a Super Bowl here in the States. So um, I was with the Toronto Organizers, and we won a, um, a Grey Cup there. So I got a ring for it, keys to the city, parade, really nice deal. So you, you were able to uh, taste the, the the thrills of victory with the Grey Cup, and I and I hear you say the comparison. There is no comparison as far as the NFL to the Canadian Football League. We know that this thing is becoming to a a money machine, and and the talent level speaks for itself. With that being said, the XFL second coming. Does this excite you at all, or does it like oh well whatever? It's not the NFL. Well, no, I'm excited that the opportunity is being presented for players who um, haven't had an opportunity to play in the NFL to play and to develop their talent base. Um, if you remember um, back when there was a, a league that went along with the NFL, um, some really talented people were in that league, and um, Houston had a team. As a matter of fact, the Houston Gamblers. Yes, sir. USFL, yeah. Absolutely. Well, they were really bringing some players along, and there was a lot of talent out there. What it proves is how many people are being looked over by the NFL. There's lots of room. There's, there's a need for more teams to be placed into the NFL, and as it, it will give an opportunity for more people, more young men, to have an opportunity to experience that level of football and to uh, – express themselves on a professional level and better their lives as a result of it. Wow. So you really think that, that the NFL could even stand more expansion? Of course it could. Wow. Okay. That, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting take. Um, 32 teams. So what do you think would be the max uh, for the NFL to try to entertain? At this point, I think 40 would be a good number. Wow, that's that's a that's a as a matter of fact, that would be the XFL as we see it right now. If they have the success and the NFL do like they did in the AFL NFL days, say, OK, let's just go ahead and nip this in the bud and allow these guys to merge in with us. And I think that it's good if the XFL can stand on its own. If they could stand on their own and they don't merge. But that's that's interesting. Forty teams. That that's a lot, brother. Yeah, that that that's a lot, but um United States can support it. We're not just talking about states. We're talking about major cities within those states. And there are some very large cities that don't have NFL teams who could easily support them. And I think if there's an avenue for doing that business 
and for creating extra opportunities for athletes, I think it should be given. I know a city right now, which I happen to be born and raised from, St. Louis is burnt on the NFL. They, they don't really want to have anything else to do with the NFL right now. And I know that's one of the major cities that has had two football franchises. But that, I'm going to have to look and keep a pulse on that one. That That's interesting. i tell you what I had thought about, and since you had the experience, I'm surprised that no American-based football teams have tried to come and be a part of the Canadian Football League. Do you see that being as a no-win situation? Well, two issues there. Um, it's international, first of all, so it's not an American football team anymore. Um, secondly, the uh, pay rate. The Canadian dollar is not the same as the American dollar. I'm pretty sure it's picked up some speed because we've run into our share of problems with uh, inflation here in the United States. So it's probably worth a little bit more than it was when I was there. But the exchange rate is really different. Um, so if you're looking at, um, here's a, for instance, the, the dollar was worth, the Canadian dollars were, dollar was worth 68 cents on the dollar when I was there. So if you had $10, you really got $6.80 American. When you start looking at that on a larger scale, um, you really take a hit. And the Canadian government isn't willing to trade in American dollars because it's Canada. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I, I'm getting some f uh, feedback from people who say they're not liking the structure of the XFL's pay scale. You know, they have it structured, and, I, and I'm saying they have to do that, especially to start out so they can keep, you know, uh, control uh, and, and the growth monitor so it can be a, a developmental process that everyone can benefit from. Do you see that as the same? Absolutely. Anytime you start a business, um, this is your most dangerous point of existence when you start and when you expand. So quite naturally, you've got to watch your dollars and you can't pay what um, those businesses that are more successful would be paying. Consequently, the XFL is not able to give the players, the coaches, or spend into the facilities like the NFL would. Um, perfect example is a TV contract. Um, when I was playing ball, uh, my rookie year, each team got like $2 million in, uh, as their TV contract. I want you to listen to this. The NFL has paid every expense that they incurred during the course of the season by the time they played the last preseason game. Everything else is profit. <laughs> That's a fact. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's a reminder that it is a business. And I tell my son all the time, you look at these guys that are signing these multi-million dollar contracts, but somebody is signing that check and they would be signing that check if they wasn't making the money back. Right. And if you can imagine a pie, when you include player salaries, expenses during the course of the season, the NFL about an eighth of what the NFL spends during the course of a year is what they would spend on uh, the player salary plus the expenses that they have to incur as far as doctors and trainers and uh, personnel salaries and that type of stuff, coaches' salaries. And it's millions upon millions of dollars that they're spending, but they make so much money until it, 
it's just we don't deal with those numbers on a daily basis. <laughs> I can so, imagine that. I can imagine that. We're talking right now with Matthew T, class of 1980, former NFL Canadian football guy with our Where Are They Now segment. And it, it leads us right into what has Mr. Teague been up to in the year of 2020? Well, one thing is I've retained my nickname, which was Gator. That name was given to me when I was in high school. I disliked it, so consequently it stuck. Um, <laughs> it followed me to Prairie View. And those people today who call me by that name, I know we have history when I hear it. Um, but right now I work full-time as a behavioral specialist um, at a high school. I am flexible where that job is concerned. And I also own a uh, barbecue restaurant. I opened it September of 2018. So we've been in existence for a little bit over a year, working hard to uh, be consistent and to give people their money's worth so that they can return and our business can uh, increase. We're working hard to brand the business and we do quite a bit of catering. We've catered for NASA. We've catered for Exxon. We've catered... And we've been called back to repeat and do additional caterings because the job we did for them was such a good job. We're uh, certified vendors with uh, HISD, Klein ISD, Aldean ISD, University of Houston, that whole conglomerate, those three campuses. So um, we're, we're working to uh, be a successful business. And we're, we started without an identity. And to have that type of confidence to where you are willing to start something and work it to the point to where people recognize what it is like they would the Golden Arches is something that we're working hard to do. Well, it goes back to when you refer to your playing days that you on a team that went 0 and 11. But because of hard work, dedication, self-discipline, all those adjectives that make up success, you were able to be drafted, to go on and play in the NFL, the CFL, and come back. Now you're giving back to students in, in the high school ranks. And then with Teague's Barbecue, able to make your statement in this business world. Sounds like Prairie View has produced another person to me. And I'm grateful for Prairie View. I think um, without Prairie View, and having the opportunity to get out of New Orleans, life would have taken uh, a drastically different turn for me because a lot of uh, the guys that I hung around with when I was in New Orleans, they um, they met fates that um, I wouldn't want to see any youngster have to face. But um, leaving and having my horizons broadened, getting an opportunity to experience cultures from different cities and, and different families, um, it, it, it helped develop me. And I had the guidance of some individuals who I knew cared about me. So that made all the difference in the world in my development. Not saying that I got everything right, but it gave me a chance. Yes, sir. And, you know, that's the beauty behind what we do. And it's about passion it's about being driven and it's about getting these stories out here uh just like you i came from st louis and um i get emotional when i hear 
the alma mater being planned because I know the impact that previous had on me, the significant things that helped me grow from a boy to a man on the campus of Prairie View, the friendships, the relationships that have been developed and the opportunity to prove to the rest of the world that there was some worth that come out of St. Louis. In your case, there's some worth that comes out of New Orleans, but just given the right opportunities and being able to recognize the opportunities speaks volumes on what, as you stated earlier, faith can do for you and what ceasing that moment can do for you. So it it, kind of ties into, I was going to ask you, what does Prairie View mean to you? But you've kind of summed that up with your last statement here. So I'll ask you this. When you hear Prairie View, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Pride. I'm very proud of my heritage, my um, tenure at Prairie View and the university itself. When I went to Prairie View, we had very little. I slept in Alexander Hall. We had no air conditioning during the summer. Um, There were very few sidewalks in the area where we practiced. There were a lot of stickers, and we called them cuckabugs, and and they were healthy cuckabugs. We rolled around and played in those things in order to prepare for the games that we had to play against those other SWAT teams. And um, I tell you, I stuck. I stayed. I didn't give up. And that just wasn't something that was instilled in me. From that point, I... um, I realized that if you've got something that's worth working towards, worth having, that you stick with it, you don't give up. And I'm very proud of, uh, and it, it offends me when I hear people um, say things about Prairie View specifically or other HBCUs as if they were um, high schools or something of, of that matter. You know, I, I think that coaches from HBCUs should go and recruit the highest taught athletes. They should go after them. Even if they don't get told, yes, that we're going to commit to your university. I think that all of us should take pride in what we're doing and know that it's a worthwhile venture for any youngster to be involved in. It's a worthwhile job for anyone to have on the campus. It's a worthwhile education for anyone to receive. I've got an undergraduate and two master's degrees from Prairie View, and nobody questions whether or not I'm able to do the job. Amen, brother, on that. That's for sure. Because when when the dust settles, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. And if you happen to be at Prairie View, whether you're past, present, or future, grasp the opportunity to make yourself better, become a productive person in society, and the sky is the limit for you. And, and when, I, when I hear about this and, and, and think about these things, I have to ask this question. Do you feel that today's athlete is spoiled? In many respects, they are. But I'll, I'll, I'll go you one better. A lot of the, the young men and young women are spoiled. I, I work with them on a lower level because they're in high school. But I think that they should be required to earn more of what they're given as opposed to having everything just given to them. I I believe that we should be there to help in any area that a student needs help. But I do believe that a student needs to earn what they get so that they can can appreciate what they receive as a result of the effort they put in. 
So, yes, I think a lot of athletes are, are spoiled nowadays. I think there are a lot of people, for the sake of uh, having them on a team, they don't require that they um, follow the discipline measures that are there. They don't require that they get fussed at or reprimanded for going out and making, not a mistake, a bad decision, um, getting penalties and that type of stuff. I don't think that a guy should come to the sidelines and get patted on the butt after he just got a 15-yarder and it hurt the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. You won't get no fuss out of me on that. Uh, you're a little bit older, but I think we all fall under the category of old school, and that's definitely an old school approach. Now, I, I got to ask you this. Have you had the opportunity to come back to the campus since the addition of the new stadium? I have, and I um, I was able to tour the stadium before it was played in, initially played in. Um, I went back, and there were uh, some people who didn't know me, but then there were some people who recognized me and came over and greeted me. And, and it was asked of me, well, why don't I know you? And um, I said, well, I, I really don't know. But at that point, I was allowed to, uh, Bubba McDowell was coaching down there. I don't know if he's still there. I think he is. Yes, yes, he is. Um, yes, he is. And I know Bubba fairly well. I went in and talked to him for a moment. And uh, there was a young man who took me around the stadium in the locker room and, you know, gave me the grand tour of it. And I was really proud of what Prairie View has been able to do as far as athletics are concerned and as far as athletic facilities are concerned. So, um, yeah, I've had a chance to see that, that facility, but I haven't been in it during the course of a game. I'm generally out tailgating um, in the open area. Well, we're going to have to try to fix that for you, Brother Teague. We got to <laughs> we got to get you inside of that joker. We're speaking right now with Matthew Teague, class of 1980 PV Panther. I got one more question I'm going to ask you, and it's my pet peeve. I beat the drum every chance I get. And this is going to be a direct question. Do you have a problem with the goal that's being represented for the university today? Actually, I haven't. It's been an ongoing conversation. I, I haven't had a problem, an issue with it. It's been an ongoing conversation. It was at one point supposed to be old goal. Um, it, that had been changed, and it's been back and forth co- for quite some time as far as what shade of gold was supposed to be used in order to represent the true colors of the university. And um, I really haven't gotten into that issue. Okay. I'm I'm. I'm I'm a historian to a degree, I guess. And if the colors are old gold and the seal is old gold, don't give me anything different. Don't give me you don't change the color. You talking about the pride and the heritage. You don't change the color of other institutions, regardless if they PWIs or HBCUs. Keep leave my gold alone. If it's old gold, don't tell me it's hard to find. Other institutions are using it. We spend money on a whole bunch of other stuff. If we have to spend a little extra to keep the nostalgia, to keep the heritage together, then by all means, let's spend it. That's just my little pet peeve. I, I can't stand this gold yellow stuff. I can't stand it. Cannot well stand stated. It. <laughs> well stated. I'm going to go with you on that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, I am I am truly, truly thankful and you got to make me a promise on this brother t we got to do this again man we've got to do this again can i count on you for that absolutely okay what we do here customarily at the open mic we allow our guests 
to have some last minute thoughts, comments, and whatever is on your heart. And so we're going to open up that floor to you right now. And the stage is all yours. The first thing I'd like to say is young men and young women, be proud of what you're involved in. Make the best of it. This becomes your history and you're creating something for someone else. You're clearing a path for them to walk. And that's very important because someone has done it for you. Um, the opportunities that are being presented, you won't realize the value of them until you're an adult and you look back over the years and say, wow, I'm glad that was there for me. But um, the second thing I would like to say is Prairie View A&M University. Appreciate those people who have laid the groundwork for the university being what it is today. Don't forget about them. You don't have to hoist them and, and raise flags in the stadium because of them, but you have to recognize, I think you have to recognize those people who have benefited the university and helped put Prairie View consistently on the map. Because if you miss one step, you don't make it to where Prairie View is now. And I think that sometimes those people who have worked and labored at the university in athletics, as well as academically, have been kind of forgotten about. So um, make sure that you remember those people who have helped get you where you are. And I say to those, anyone who's listening now, definitely be proud of what you've gone through. Be proud of Prairie View. And don't let anyone tell you that we're second to any because Prairie View is not. And the product that Prairie View produces, those productive people who come out of Prairie View can rival anyone in the job area. Very well stated, sir. And with that being said, I'm going to ask you this final question. Who are you rooting for? BVU. <laughs> Matthew Teagues. Our special segment of Where Are They Now? I am the radio guy, Dr. Mike Prince. Want to thank you guys so much for joining with us. Don't forget our social media handles for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at the Mike Prince Show. Our website, OBN Radio, and our YouTube channel is Open Mike Broadcast Network. I've got the exit stage left for right now, but until the next time, you guys be blessed, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you.